0: Thank you for joining the Bevel Talk, Season 8, Episode 3, Amping Up the Productivity and Measurements of TIG Quality. Today, we're talking with special guests Mark Snyder from A&B Process Control and Mark Cadillac from Miller's TIG Division. Let's get right into it. Hello and welcome to Bevel Talk. Thanks for joining us today. I have Mark Cadillac with Miller's TIG Division and Mark Snyder with A&B Process Systems with me. Thanks guys for taking your time to come and and visit with us. I'd like to talk about productivity and quality with you guys um, specific around TIG and, and other processes that A and B is doing. So I grew up as a rod burner. Um, We always used to make fun of the guys that TIG welded because they were slow. They took so long. I mean, obviously we know there's a reason for it, but you know, TIG is the slowest process that we have out there for deposition rates, but it's also the highest quality um, that we have. So At A&B and other customers that you have, uh, Caddy and Mark, what is it that you guys have done to overcome that? You know, with labor rates going up, with with material inputs going up, how are you getting your
1: jobs done faster and and on time? Well, one of the things we started doing is analyzing the type of process we were using for the particular joints. And if it wasn't a food product contact area – that we could still do with MIG, then we started using the Miller Pipe Works, uh, specifically with the pulse spray. And we've been able to improve our productivity tremendously with that. Um, by far, it's probably one of our biggest increases in productivity that we've seen over Short Arc. And I guess if you look at uh, uh, the Dynasty product that we produce
2: today uh, for aluminum welding, you know, we've certainly made some strides in increasing uh, the travel speeds, especially because of the balance and frequency settings and what we can use there. Uh, so that that has certainly helped uh, increase the, your inches per minute uh, just because of the flexibility in the
0: products that we produce today. So at A and B, are you guys measuring, you know, inches per, per day? you doing pounds of weld deposited. Um, how do you keep track of what your welders are doing and who's a a productive welder, and who's not?
1: We actually measure the percentage of completion for the total job, and it's done on a daily but yet a weekly basis. Um, On the the TIG side, one of the things we look at is what is it estimated to take to complete a project or a part of the project? And then we look at how long it takes for the person to do it. It, A a new hire being on a product or a project itself is going to take longer but they're not being paid as much because they're gaining experience. But for more seasoned people that are fabricators, we know about how long it should take to do a project.
0: So on average, a good TIG welder can weld how many inches a minute? About eight. Yeah, I would have have to agree. That's probably about right, yes. Okay. And so to give our listeners some some scale on the size of projects that A&B do, does – how large are some of these tanks or these storage vessels that you guys are making? How many gallon? 20,000, 30,000 gallon so, on the large end. Right. You think about a 55-gallon oil drum, right? And you go to 20,000 gallons and there's a lot of inches of weld in that. Correct. So you've got, even with the TIG process where it does come in contact with food, what have you guys been able to do without giving away your secrets, your competitive edge? Sure. You know, what have you guys done to, to get better and faster?
1: Well, we actually purchased some uh, tip-tig welders, which are powered by the Miller 400s. And that's really helped increase our productivity when it comes to the tig side of it. And some of our customers dictate uh, when we have to use tig. So we can actually weld three to four times faster with that process.
2: Yeah, anytime you can add a hot wire process, you know, you're going to increase your deposition rate and your travel speed. And, you know, that's where you're really going to get uh, uh, more productivity out of it. Uh, If you look at uh, the automation side, you know, on a seam welder, you know, they're adding wire and sometimes they'll make the wire hot, you know, hot wire process. And they can certainly
0: uh, travel a lot faster. So uh, the
2: same principle
0: applies. So when you guys did that, did you get any kickback from from your experienced welders? What were the
1: challenges of making that switch? At first, there was a lot of resistance. And once we were able to start training the individuals on how to operate it, how to do the preventative maintenance, that type of stuff, uh, they loved it. Uh, The majority of them that were trained on it still use it to this day. So what was the resistance? Was it because of unfamiliarity or? Yes, it was different. It's a whole different type of a process, but it's easier once you understand it. So along with productivity gains in the welding side,
0: what other things have you done upstream and downstream of welding to help increase productivity?
1: We've started looking at uh, design for manufacture in our engineering side so that we can design um, the equipment so it can be built easier and quicker and there's also parts that we look at can we purchase the parts cheaper than making them ourselves or is it faster just to purchase instead of uh tying up our labor which slows down our throughput
2: sometimes joint design can really be a a large factor you know some companies are they're kind of resistant to want to make that change because we got to redesign the the part but we get calls every week you know with people wanting to you know, make their job a little bit easier. And sometimes it, it's going to take redesigning that part to make that joint
0: a little bit more accessible. Right. I think it's interesting that, that welding is is generally looked at as a bottleneck in manufacturing, and it is, because if it needs to be welded, it, it's got to be welded. But there are so many things that you can do upstream to help with fit-up or design or joint preparation. Um, oftentimes, especially... In automation circumstances, or or circumstances where you're trying to get higher deposition rates, fit up has to be much better, much more precise than the 30 year old press or the 30 year old plasma table that you're that you're using.
2: Yeah, in TIG welding, it really requires a very tight joint fit up, and the tighter the
0: joint is, the easier the weld is. It's just that simple. And for an old rod burner like me, you know, you always want a 332. Let's go, turn and burn, right? <laughs> yes. So. Yeah. So along with, with all of these process improvements and productivity gains, how do you maintain the high standards of quality that you have set?
1: It's basically part of our DNA. Um, when you take the craftsmanship that our people are used to, they don't allow anything less than top quality to go through.
0: a fantastic culture to have built around in your workforce. And I'm sure it's taking a
1: lot of time and dedication to build that culture of we just do it right. Yes. I was at a facility uh, probably six, seven years ago that our equipment was being installed alongside of competitors from all over the world. And the manager of the plant had told me that you could stand back from 100 feet and see the quality difference from ours compared to all the rest of the equipment that was in there. And that ours stood out top notch. That's a
0: fantastic compliment from a customer. Yes. Get current with the new Miller SynchroWave 300 TIG Welding Power Sources. Simple to set up, easy to use, and energy efficient. These smaller and lighter machines are ready to help you get more done and improve your bottom line. Learn more at MillerWelds.com slash SynchroWave. Typically in pipe welding and in Um, construction, you're welding to an ASME or an API or an AWS code. Is there code welding that you guys are welding to for food and beverage? Is there certain codes and standards?
1: Yes, mainly under the ASME, we do weld under AWS and BPE, but we also do some ethanol. So we're uh, welding under the API code also.
0: And do you have a lot of customers that require more or more stringent
1: standards than what code requires, or is is it generally if code calls it, it's good? When you get into the high purity side, uh, some customers require that the ID color exceed what the standard is. So it has to be a, a better quality of color. Okay. Caddy, what do you see out there?
2: I I have to agree with Mark that I see a lot of the same thing, that people are you know, not only are they welding to a code, but they also are welding to the visual aspect of what they're looking at. Because you can look at a weld and you can tell a good weld from a bad weld. And coloring is really, really important when it comes to uh, pharmaceutical or food grade. Uh,
0: That is extremely important. Along with that, that color that you're looking at in the codes and standards, What is good color? Can you explain to our listeners what what that actually means?
1: On the ID of a pipe or a tank, as you're purging it with argon, the lower percentage of oxygen or the parts per million, the clearer the color is going to be. It's either going to be a silver or a very light straw color. Uh, Anything that's tending towards a a blue or a dark yellow um, will not pass. Because that that means that you've got too much oxygen in the um, atmosphere of the weld. Okay. Uh, Again, I have to agree with
2: Mark that uh, uh, whatever you're doing, you know, as far as pharmaceutical, there's a different color variation for that than there is for food grade. Uh, And, you know, if you have to maintain the the silver color as compared to the straw color in one or the other, uh, that's what I've been taught in the past. Um, obviously, Mark's the expert in that area. Um. I, I don't know if I'd be an expert. It's what I'm, it's what that's, I'm told. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that, that, that's what I've been taught is that the, the coloring is very
0: important, especially uh, whatever industry you're welding for. So with with these codes and standards, with your quality improvements and your process improvements that you've been doing and, and really bringing into the culture of A and B process systems – what trends are you seeing in the industry what are you how is industry changing and how are you adapting
1: industry is um, basically wanting to see higher quality welds uh, mainly because they have to be able to produce um, quality food beverage and uh, pharmaceuticals and they don't want contaminants so with the higher quality of a weld you're going to have to have people that have more craftsmanship mindset than anything else. They're going to have to have high integrity because when they weld any of the equipment, they have to weld it to the highest standards, and we can't have anything less than that. Otherwise, our reputation is going to suffer.
0: Are you seeing any new material or any variants of material coming out? or
1: More, more on um, – like the AL6XN duplexes, that type of stuff that some of the companies are requiring because of its uh, corrosion resistance. Okay. And are your welders adapting to that well, or are they fighting back a little bit like they did when you introduced a hot wire TIG? No, they they adapt to it. Uh, we have certain individuals that are certified in welding duplex, so not everybody gets to weld on it. You have to have somebody that's been more seasoned in the – normal materials that we use. It looks a little different. You know, the
2: puddle looks a little different when you're welding it, and I think that's probably what, you know, most people don't realize, is that when you change a material like this, yes, it affects the
1: puddle and and what, you know, how it's going to be welded. And you have to pay attention to the uh, temperature that you're welding at because you don't want the weld puddle to overheat as you're welding because that changes the crystalline structure in your heat affected zone.
0: Right. And with that change in, in your crystalline structure, you get uh, less wear properties or, or corrosion, corrosion resistance. Corrosion. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Um, last question for you both What is your favorite or most challenging experience that you've had with welding? And I see the big old grins because you're thinking back every day's a challenge. Yes. <laughs> just when you think you, you've seen it all something else comes up
2: you know there's uh, it, you know it's hard to put a finger on it for me because i i deal with all industries um and everyone uh has created challenges to how they need to do things uh, i can't really put my finger on one right now that you've put that question to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I've been more prepared of course. Um, Mine I'd have to say was um, I had to fabricate a uh, cylinder for a cheese curds tumbler and um, I was given the blueprint and I had to make a template for it and bend the different angles on three pieces of metal and then seam weld them together. And nobody gave me instructions on how to figure the uh, bends out or anything else like that. And basically, I spent most of my night doing a prototype. But I found out that I couldn't use just one brake press. I had to use two different brake presses. Otherwise, I'd have to reset. And in order to get it to come out right, I had to have enough room to do the seam weld on it. So once I got all my angles, got my lengths and everything, I was able to get it to come out perfect on my template. So then I bent up the actual pieces that we had, and it actually came out. But I didn't—I just set it back down. They needed two of them made, but I didn't have time to do the second one. And so the day shift came in, and they tried to figure out how I did all the angles and everything on the one brake press. And I <laughs> I came in the next day, and they were they were upset. But once I explained to them how I did it, that I used two brake presses, the experienced guy is like, why didn't I think of that? Oh, and that, I think that's
0: a key takeaway is every day is different. You get to figure out new things, you're trying new things, you're never gonna be bored. And if you are, just wait till tomorrow. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah. Uh one of the things I guess I, I look at is that, you know, whenever I'm trying to do a a, a job or, or or help somebody out, I always try to guide them as to, well, can't we make a test piece first? Can't we do something and practice on that? Because if you try and do it on the real thing, it's not going to turn
0: out real good. (laughs) Absolutely. So you heard it from Caddy. Make a test piece. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming in and talking with us. And I appreciate you all listening to Bevel Talk. Thank you.